Romans, uh, the whole book in Romans 1, uh, two weeks ago. So it's kind of interesting when you start a book and then you take a break. Uh, you've got to go back and, and do just a quick little review. Um, I just asked some questions. Who wrote the book of Romans? Apostle Paul. Anybody remember what year approximately he wrote it? 56 AD. Yeah, somewhere around there. He was probably in Corinth is what they think when he wrote the book um, to the church at Rome. Um, what do we know about the church at Rome? Where do we think it was established or how did it get established? There was never a missionary there. Um, anybody remember? Well, that he did eventually, yes. But before that, that was probably in the early 60s. How did, how did we think? Remember Acts chapter 2, we looked at Pentecost and there was people and Jews, proselytes and Jews from Rome. And so, yes, it probably a Priscilla and Aquila were very instrumental in Acts chapter 16, or Romans 16, Paul mentions Priscilla and Aquila in the, uh, they were probably at the church, probably after it was established that they were sent there. Uh, remember the Jews were um, Claudius uh, threw the Jews out of Rome. Uh, and so they must have went back or been there earlier. Um, Paul was probably in his 50s when he wrote the book. Uh, most people believe he was converted probably around the same time that Jesus was born, Paul was born. And so Paul was converted maybe 35, 36, 37 A.D. And then um, there's that great conversion in Acts chapter 9 where he is persecuting Christians, and, and Jesus cries out from heaven, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, uh, Saul, Paul, Saul is his uh, Jewish name, Paul is his Gentile name, and so probably for the rest of the, this time we'll refer to him as Paul or the Apostle Paul. Um, he was, um, uh, certainly it was a, a, a wonderful transition, um, Paul was born in Tarsus, which is up in Macedonia. It's believed that he was educated there. There was a university there. And then he moved uh, to Jerusalem, and he uh, studied under Gamaliel, the, the Pharisee. Uh, we know from Acts that Paul's father was also a Pharisee, so probably a very educated man. When you read, obviously, this treatise of Romans, you find out that it is, uh, there's some very deep uh, things here as we will go uh, through this. Um, the, um, the church at Rome, uh, obviously Paul did not start it. Yeah, it was, uh, prob- like I said, it was started probably from uh, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Um, the, uh, the book itself, um, it was written, uh, Tertarius is, a, is the man mentioned in Acts, cha- or excuse me, Romans sixteen twenty two. Probably the scribe, Paul wrote the book, but had somebody write it, uh, copy it down, maybe his secretary. It's believed that there's a lady named Phoebe in chapter 16 who was at Corinth earlier, is the one that delivered the letter. Not for sure, but it seems like she's the one that brought the letter from Corinth uh, to Rome. Um, It's separated, uh, much like the book of Ephesians is, uh, the first 12 uh, chapters present theological truth, or excuse me, the first 11 chapters present theological truth, and then uh, 12 through 16 
how do we live with this theological truth? Much like Ephesians is laid out the same way. Um, and um, so the theme of the book is the just shall live by faith. It's an Old Testament passage from Habakkuk. And Paul's going to build on that uh, as he encourages uh, the Romans here. Um, we, we know the book is going to have some controversy. We'll get into that. By the end of chapter 1, there's already some uh, uh, controversy, even in, in our society today, in how this book is handled and really how the Apostle Paul uh, is treated. We're going to look at an outline probably today through the introduction here and then Paul's salutation. There's some personal thoughts, and then he gets into the main theme in chapter 16. And, <clears throat> and then the wrath of God starts in chapter 1, 18, and goes on through t- 320. So tie up, take chapter 2, uh, and carry that on as we go through. So any questions on, on Romans as we look at this uh, introduction? Any thoughts? Paul was certainly a unique man if you look at Romans 1. Uh, not only was he saved miraculously, and I use that in the sense that out of the custom, most people don't have a miraculous God speaking to them from heaven. Um, but Paul in chapter 1, verse 1, calls himself a bondservant and an apostle. So he was on both ends of the spectrum. He never took his position and um, held it over people, but he was also very uh, conscious that, and we'll look at that as we get through here, as he speaks about the grace of God. So he was a man of, he was a slave, he was an apostle, and he was a man that was uh, humble. He was uh, a bold man. Uh, He confronted Peter uh, out in public, but he also was very clear in Galatians to remind people if they were overtaken, if a brother was overtaken in a fall, to restore such a one with a spirit of meekness. So Paul, on one hand, was bold. On the other hand, there was compassion, uh, and he was a very um, unique man. Uh, I was looking this week in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes to the church there, uh, this uh, man that was involved in a sexual sin. Paul says, uh, put away evil from yourself or that evil person. And then by the time he writes the second book, Corinthians 2, uh, probably the same man, Paul says, Apparently, this man has repented, and Paul says, reaffirm your love to him. And so, on one hand, Paul was very solid, but once the man repented and turned, Paul was very clear that it is our duty, as duty as believers, to restore such a one or to help him. So, uh, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was accused of uh, many things by the Jews. Um, It's interesting All that he suffered at the hands of the Jews, Um, Paul writes this uh, in Romans 10, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God for Israel that they all may be saved. Even after he went through uh, everything that he uh, had gone through at the hands of the Jews, he didn't have a hatred for them, but he had a compassion and a love. Chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says, I tell you the truth in Christ. Listen to this. I am not lying. Also bear me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and continued grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed for, from Christ for my brethren. So this was a man that was beaten by the Jews, followed all over, pursued, 
and yet Paul has this great love uh, for the Jewish people. And I think it's a good lesson for us um, that we always be reminded that even people that persecute us and, and are uh, unkind and cruel to us, they still need the gospel. They still need Jesus Christ, um, and we should have a good uh, view of that, of the gospel, and that it is only Christ that can change their circumstances. So any, any thoughts here before we move into chapter 1, verse 1 through 7? All right. Samuel, would you mind reading verses 1 through 7 for me, please? All right, thank you, Samuel. Uh, Notice again in verse 1, he was a servant and an apostle. We talked about that last week. Right off the bat, he established himself. He has authority. There's no doubt he uses, he reminds them he is an apostle. He's writing with the authority of an apostle. Um, And as we said, he's also a servant of Christ or a servant of the living God. Um, The words there, separated to the gospel, um, Notice here in verse 1, separated to the gospel of God. So when did that happen? When was Paul separated to the gospel of God? If you're reading this, what does that mean? Yes. So I I agree with you. Turn, Turn to Galatians 1 with me a minute. I don't know about you, I like to ask myself questions, and it's helpful. Galatians 1, we're answering the question, when was Paul separated from, uh, to the gospel? Romans, uh, Galatians 1, verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and I know you know this, but it's just a reminder that when we read something like this, what does it mean? And here's what it means. And called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles and and so on. And then in Acts chapter 9, we know the story there uh, that uh, Paul was on the road to Damascus and and he heard the voice. uh, Why are you persecuting me? Paul said, so he's definitely called there. And then look at Acts chapter 13 a minute, verses 1 through 3. Uh, chapter Acts chapter 13. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets uh, and teachers, uh, uh, Barnabas, uh, Simon, who was also called Niger, uh, Lucius, the Cyrene, and Maiden, who had been brought up with Herod in the, ter- the Tertrach and Saul. And this is the apostle Paul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, now separate me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them. 
And then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So isn't that interesting? Paul says, when was he separated? He was separated in eternity past, really, from his mother's womb. He was separated in time in that miraculous call on the Damascus Road, but he was also separated by the church in, in Acts chapter 13 as they laid hands on them and sent them out as missionaries. So there was other people there at, at uh, Antioch that day, but they chose Paul and Barnabas uh, for a specific work. So then verse, uh, we look on, uh, so uh, we look at verse 2 uh, here in, uh, let me go back to Romans a minute. I better turn the page back. Look at verse 2 here. Notice it says, uh, which he promised before through his prophets to the, through the Holy Scriptures. We talked a little bit about this last week. Um, Paul wanted the Jews the naysayers to know that it was uh, not a new gospel. This was not something new that he was proclaiming, but it was a gospel from the old. It was an Old Testament gospel, and it was the gospel of grace that the prophets had uh, taught about. Paul says here before, through his prophets and holy scriptures, not only did the prophets declare it, but the holy scriptures declared it. Um, I read an interesting quote this week, uh, if I can find it here. From B.B. Uh, Warfield, and he, I think it's helpful. Um, speaking of the Old Testament, he says the Old Testament is a chamber richly furnished but dimly lighted. And I thought that was a good way to look at it. If you've ever been into a really nice, fancy house and it's beautiful, but it's there's no light. You can't really see it. And that's kind of how the Old Testament is. It's full of truth. It's full of light. It's like a room that is well furnished. It's there, but it's hard to see. And, and uh, I think that's true. We can see that, uh, especially in the uh, first century with the Jews. They had trouble seeing that Christ was really the Messiah who was also going to be the one, that, the suffering servant. Uh, and so... Uh, Anyway, I thought that was helpful. And look at First Peter with me. Peter makes this point also uh, that um, this is not a new uh, gospel. We don't want Paul to be accused of preaching something new. Uh, let me see. First Peter 1, and let's look at verse 10 here. Notice what he has to say. Um, of this salvation, this is Peter speaking, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glories that would be revealed. To them it was revealed to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us that they were ministering to the things which are now have been reported to you and who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Peter says the Old Testament prophets knew about it and they searched the scriptures to try to figure out how it was that the Christ was going to come and try to figure out how it was that Christ could be the Messiah and the suffering servant. And Paul says, 
it was finally revealed in Jesus Christ. And, and he's making this point here. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bringing something new. I'm bringing something old. And I'm revealing it to you in a way that had been planned. So any thoughts on that? Okay, let's look at verse 3 then. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Uh, let me just read verse 4 while we're doing. And declared to be the son of God but with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of Jesus or him from the dead. Uh, Paul is making this point here uh, that um, Jesus Christ is the centerpiece or the pinnacle of the gospel. Even all the Old Testament prophets, prophecies look forward to him. The Old Testament scriptures pointed to him. Notice how Paul speaks of this one. He says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, and then in verse 3, he says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the son of God, uh, the very uh, one promised the Old Testament son of God. Um, and uh, we, we want to just look just quickly at, just look at this, the verbs there are the uh, description there of he's the son he's jesus he's christ and he's the lord paul puts it all together there doesn't he he's he's this is the one that we're uh, looking for this is the one promised in the old testament he's the very uh, son of god he's this uh, matthew 121 says thou shall call his name jesus why is that for he shall save his people from their sins. So he's the Savior uh, in, in that name. Uh, he is the, the word uh, Christ there in verse uh, 3. He's Jesus, he's, which is the Savior. He's Christ, which is the anointed one, the Messiah. Um, and then he's also, uh, notice, the Lord, um, the Curios, the one that has all power and all authority, the one that says, I have been given all authority over all things. This is what Paul is reminding them of. Remember, these are, this is a, a, a church in the first century, probably 56 A.D., only 30 years or 20 years after Christ dies or 25 years, and they don't know all this. They're, they're learning this. And Paul's saying this Christ that you heard was crucified, he was also the Savior. He's also the Lord, the Curios, the one that is... The, uh, has all power and all authority. Uh, we read in verse 3b that he was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Not only was he all of this, but he was also a man. He was fully God, fully man, son of God and son of man. I think, I don't know about you, I think we take that for granted. Um, can you imagine hearing that in the first century? It would be uh, a really a new revelation. And if you know much about church history, which I know a little bit of, Dave probably much more well-informed or tied, but this was a battle throughout church history that there, this man called Jesus was not half God and half man, but he was fully God and fully man, and he was always fully God and fully man, and he remains fully God and fully man. And so for millennia, the church has struggled with this truth that we, we don't worship just uh, um, someone who became a man uh, because, and for a period of time, or took on uh, flesh, but he was always God and he was always man. Yes, he took on flesh, 
but he remains that faithful uh, servant um, of Jesus Christ. Um, This was a paradigm shift uh, for the thinking of the day, and really for us. And even in our own day, we still have people that deny the very deity of Christ uh, as, as man. Wesley's hymn says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. And that is um, what, we, what we, Paul wants us to see. I looked our doctrinal statement up. What, what do we have to say as a church? We believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, he is absolute deity, he is very God, existing from all eternity, equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He has never ceased to be God, even when he died. As perfect man, he was miraculously begotten by the Holy uh, Spirit, born of Mary, a virgin. Man, is the virgin birth important? It will be when we get to chapter 5 of Romans. Because Paul lays out the original sin. How could God be fully man and not be affected by original sin? Why? Of course, we know. It's because of the virgin birth of Mary. Uh, Mary. We, we read things like that and we take them for granted. He was both perfect God and perfect man, son of God and son of man. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, this is my body which is broken for you. He fulfilled all righteousness in his body. He never once, his body never, as it were, in his body, he never sinned. He was perfect God and perfect man. And why is that that bread or that cracker, what does that represent? It represents the perfect God man. Uh, And we celebrate that here once a month uh, to be reminded. Um, Central to his incarnation was the redeeming of a people given to him by his father, as a sinless sacrifice, remember the Old Testament, you had a lamb that was pure, spotless, but it wasn't perfect. It was never an animal, but Christ was the perfect son of God. He died and buried, was buried and raised the third day, ascended into heaven where he's at the right hand of the Father. He ever lives to intercede as mediator for his people. So uh, just a reminder of the importance of the doctrine that we have probably take for granted, but that for millennia was at the center and struggle of the um, of the church and is important. So, uh, any thoughts on the uh, on the Son of God, fully God and fully man, Jimmy? And, and and quite frankly, if I was living in the first century, I, it might have been difficult to see. You know, it was a room dimly lighted, full of glory, but dimly lighted. Uh, so, uh, verse uh, verse five here. Uh, notice uh, through him speaking of uh, well, he, for, he says in verse four, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. 
I just remind you that that was the declaration that Paul says uh, Jesus has defeated death, uh, the last enemy. And then in verse 5, he says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship for, apostleship for obedience to the faith among nations for his name. Paul was sent to be, a. Uh, we read it in Galatians, where was Paul sent to, to be? Uh, apostle to who? To the Gentiles. And he reminds them here, to all nations. This was always God's plan. You go back to Isaiah chapter what, 60, you can see that the Gentiles were be, to be, uh, the Jews were to be a light to the Gentiles. It was always God's plan. This isn't something new. We just added the Gentiles in because the Jews rejected. It was always the plan for the Jews to reject and the Gentiles to be brought to glory. And we'll get into that uh, when we get into Romans chapter 11. But Paul says here, this grace, this uh, grace, notice what he says, this grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. What does grace produce? Grace produces obedience, doesn't it? That is a natural result of, of, of grace. If God, someone shows you grace, there should be a love or an obedience toward that. Paul says in Romans or, uh, Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So grace always produces uh, obedience. In fact, um, if it doesn't, uh, then uh, there's something wrong. And then in verse 7 here, um, he, he says, uh, To all who are at Rome, beloved of God, called to be the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 6 and 7, uh, you see the word called there. Uh, verse uh, 6, among whom you were called of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, uh, to all who were at Rome, beloved, uh, called of God. Uh, this, is a, um, this is a particular word that is used to speak of, uh, of, of, of the work of God in their lives. Uh, they are, uh, I don't think here this is a general call, a call you might hear like in Matthew 11, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's not the idea here. I think this is a specific call. In verses 6 and 7, uh, we, we, are, we see this. Uh, we are called of Jesus Christ uh, to be saints. Uh, to, as it were, there's a specific calling uh, MacArthur says here uh, in his commentary, the reference to being called to salvation is always, in, in the epistles, is always uh, a, a factual call or a call that saves. It's never a general invitation. So when we read this, we see that these people at Rome, like us, were called specifically. They were called to be, notice, to be saints, to be set apart. Uh, in verse 7, and then in verse 6, they were called of Jesus Christ. So there's a specific calling. They weren't called to Buddha. They weren't called to Muhammad. They weren't called to uh, Joseph Smith. They weren't called to some other person. But the specific call of the gospel always points to Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Lord, the man uh, Jesus Christ. And so what we have here is a specific calling that we have all received if we're in Christ and a specific calling to a specific person. 
or a point, and that is uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, and then it uh, closes this salutation in verse 7. Notice he says um, uh, that uh, he, he says he reminds those who are called, uh, those who are beloved, those who are saints. Notice the names he uses here. Amongst who you were called of Jesus Christ, to all who are at Rome, beloved of God. So there they are. They're called. They're also beloved. They're also saints. Notice here, grace be to you in peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul makes a reference and says here, you're called, but you're called specifically um, to be beloved. God set his love upon you in eternity past to save you and to bring you to Christ. And then he makes you a saint. Uh, the word saint, you probably know it, but it means to be set apart. Uh, hagios is the word we use, the Greek word, and it means to be uh, separated. Sometimes it's translated holy or, um, or, or, uh, or yeah, as, the, as the idea of being set apart. And so as believers, as God saves us, he calls us, but then he separates us for a specific purpose, unto obedience, and that uh, he calls us and separates us for himself. Um, don't miss this here. His point here is that only the called, the beloved, the saints can truly claim God as their father. And he make this point here. Notice he says, grace to you and peace from God our father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Who can call God their father? Only those who are called of God, only those who are beloved of God, only the saints can call God their father. Uh, so there's a general sense in which God is father over all creation but there's a specific sense in which only God can be called the Father or, or truly be our Father. Um, we can call God Father. Why can we call God our Father? What is, the, what is the theological term? What have we been, how have we been brought into the family of God? We've been adopted in Jesus Christ. And so by being adopted into Christ, into the family of God, we can now call uh, God his father. Paul says in, uh, let's look at Romans 8. He's going to pick this up in Romans chapter 8. Um, again, an important point to make in that it, not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone in that sense. Not all who die will go to heaven. Not all who are born will go to heaven. But those who are called, those who have been called saints, who were separated uh, unto God. And Paul says here in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, Therefore we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will uh, die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As many as are led by the Spirit... These are the sons of God. We talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It is because we've been adopted into the family of God and because we have been brought into that family, we have the right to call him Father. And then he says here, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God.
So, of course, the obvious question is, what did we do to deserve that? Why, did, why were we adopted? Why were we adopted? Yeah, grace, right? Tim? Yeah. But Anna had no, Anna had no, nothing to do with it. Yeah, it, nothing. She didn't, they picked her. We don't pick Christ. And so, just a reminder, isn't there so much truth in just these verses that Paul's writing to these new believers and he wants to encourage them, and of course, to us. And he says, grace to you. No kidding, right? You've been called to the Father. You've been declared to be a saint. You can call God to your Father. You are a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. Grace be to you. How did you get there? Well, we got there because of grace, because of the grace that was bestowed upon us. Um, Paul, um, here in verses 8 through 15. Um, well, let me just back here a minute. Um, I don't think Paul ever got over God's grace. I think he, it, I think it, it, as it were, haunted him his whole life that he, he, he was so amazed that a, that a persecutor, a murderer of, of followers of Jesus Christ, other of God's children, could ever become a believer. And so Paul, all through this gospel, he's, he continually comes back to grace and faith and salvation. And it's a reminder to all of us uh, why does he do that? Because that's central to uh, his, his teaching. Uh, you see that in Ephesians. You see it in Colossians. You certainly see it here in Romans as we go through this. Um, in verses uh, 8 through 15, uh, we have um, Paul's uh, personal notes. He makes some, uh, some personal thoughts here. We'll just look at that a minute. Uh, in verse 8... Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be interesting if the Apostle Paul could say that about Bible Chapel, that he's heard of our faith and it's been not just a faith, but it's spoken of throughout all the world. Paul somehow got word back from Rome that these people were faithful followers of Jesus Christ and that they were it is so much a follower that people knew them that the church at Rome was this wonderful church. Yes, they had some issues, and Paul needed to straighten some of them out, but their faith um, was heard <coughs> or seen uh, throughout uh, all, the, all the world. Uh, is reputation important? Yeah, reputation is really important, isn't it? You can have a good reputation or you could have a bad reputation depending on your actions or character. And so the reputation that Rome, the church at Rome had was what? That their faith was known throughout all the world. And I, I think it's a reminder to us about what do people think of Bible Chapel? What are we known for? What is, what is our uh, mission? Are we people who are 
uh, known for uh, faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, the apostle Paul here is excited about the reputation in the Roman believers. He's not ashamed of it. He says they've been heard throughout all the world. He's so excited uh, for this that he says, I thank God for the saints. Uh, Paul says the reputation in the Roman saints concerning their first faith is spoken of throughout all the world. Now we take that um, it, we take that and understand that to mean probably the Roman Empire, and uh, that. Uh, but it was uh, it was something. I, do you ever hear the slogan "What happens in uh, Vegas stays in Vegas"? Well, what happened in Rome didn't stay in Rome. Their faith was known throughout the whole world. Uh, these are bold uh, believers in Jesus Christ. And then in verse nine here, we'll just close with this. He says, for God is my witness to whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. I don't know what it was that attracted Paul to the church at Rome. Um, it's speculation, but he had this desire. He had never met them. He had heard about them. And so uh, he has this passion for this church at Rome. Maybe you have heard of a church in Yugoslavia or a church in Mexico or a church in uh, Canada or whatever, and it's a special place to you. You, you pray for it, and that's what we have here with the Apostle Paul. Um, you know, Paul didn't always serve God. There was a time when he persecuted the church, and we talked about that, uh, but uh, this uh, is a complete change for Paul. Uh, from what he was. It's, it's a 180-degree it's uh, change here. For God is my witness. I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. What did Paul once serve? Served himself, didn't he? He, he thought he was doing the right thing. He said, I persecuted the church. I killed believers. But now, all of a sudden, here his service turns completely around he says, now I serve in my spirit the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was going in this direction and turned and went in this direction. We call that the repentance, right? Turn, going one way and turning going the other. And that's what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. So anyway, we'll close there. We're out of time. Uh, if you have any other thoughts or uh, comments, please see me afterwards, and we'll pick up chapter 1 next week.